Greetings, Minecrafters, and welcome to another very interesting discussion today. My name is Kimberly Quinn, and I am here with Sarah Camille Wilson at the gorgeous Champlain College campus. And uh, I'm going to give you a second, and Sarah Camille is going to tell you what she'd like to talk to uh, talk to you about today. But first, I would actually like her to explain to you what it is she does over there in our library. Thanks, Kim. Um, so I do work at the beautiful library here at Champlain College, and I manage the customer service team of the library. So that means that I manage the team of pro staff and student employees who are opening and closing the library, staffing the front desk. I'm part of the, the reference team, which means that I meet with students to help them with their research. Um, and generally just make sure that the doors are open, that the lights are on, and all the resources that students need are available to them during all of the library's hours. Okay, so I, I'm chuckling a little bit with Sarah Camille, because of course I've known her for, for a while now, and I've actually witnessed her, you know, doing her, her library goddess maneuvering over there. And uh, I went over there because she had asked me to help out with a, a mindful, I'm sorry, anxiety and mindfulness sort of little mini workshop, right? With my student worker team, exactly. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. I remember the whole play, the thing was yeah, filled yeah. up like eight, about 16, 18, 20, like 25. 25, yeah. there we go. Yeah. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is because that's where sort of where we're headed. So it's interesting how somebody's title or whatever they say, they're your sort of human doing example, right? The human being example is Sarah Camille brings a whole lot more to the library than just her fabulous executive functioning skills. So let's let's we talked earlier i think sarah camille is headed in the place of one of my favorite topics actually which is the mind body connection and she's gonna sort of take us off and running with why physical activity isn't sep isn't separate right it's you're talking about the integration of our lifestyles why don't you run with that tell us what you mean yeah i i think one of i think probably the single thing that has made the biggest difference in my own relationship to exercise, as well as my well-being and ability to function in the world, has been realizing that physical activity um, can and should be woven into everyday life rather than being this separate finite thing, rather than being this notion of for 23 hours of the day, you're not an active person. And then for one hour of the day, you go to the gym, which actually means probably that's three hours out of your day because you have to get to the gym. You have to change into the special outfit. You have to do whatever you're doing, change out of the special outfit, maybe shower if you're going back to work. Whereas if physical activity is something that is just a constant part of your life that's woven into everything that you do, that can really um, have tremendous benefits in terms of making you more active which means that, you know, you typically feel better mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, and it becomes something that you don't have to think about as a to-do list item. It's already been done because it's how you live your life. It's like how, or it's already been done because it's how I live my life. And it's something, it's a, it's a mindset shift that I, you know, would love more people to think about and be, you know, work on adapting for themselves, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it, to spread the, spread the news about this way of thinking about it. Oh God, Sarah Camille, I absolutely love this. And I, you know, you're preaching to the choir here, right? Cause you and I are like peas and carrots with this whole thing. We totally gel because we were talking about lifestyle versus becoming like a gym rat, no offense to gyms, right? But, it, mm -hmm. but if, it's, if it's something that's laborious 
and it takes you forever to get there and get your stuff, especially in the snow in northern Vermont. It's a big, huge project. Then you're there, you do your thing, you sweat, you come home, and you take a shower or else you freeze and get the chills, right? So is that gonna is that sustainable in your opinion for long term? I don't think so. Not I don't think it's sustainable from my own experience at other points in my life and not from, you know, for the most part, what I see from other people. Of course, there are exceptions for everyone. But um, I think I like, you know, this notion of how something that is just a habit, you know, like we, you know, there's this um, concept of you know, an overload of choice, right? And like an overload of decisions. And if something is just is a habit that you don't have to think about, then that's not, you know, draining that capacity. So you have that ability to make those choices where you really need to make them and not in these things where, you know, it can just be a part of your life and not something where you need to be choosing to go to the gym or choosing to do X or Y, but rather how you live your life is just, um, you know, a, a habit and something that's totally integrated. So, yeah, so what I think, so what maybe what you're saying is willpower, not to put it down because we need willpower, right? Totally. But it only gets you so far. Like if you're not attracted, I use the word attracted, like if you're not attracted like a magnet because you want to be, because you're actually enjoying it, not because it's a military drill. Yeah. You're less apt to. Yeah. And even if you truly want to be active in our super busy lives, mm -hmm. it is really hard to continue to make the conscious choice to carve out time when you have the option of having it be integrated into your life where it's a habit and you're not making those choices in the same way. No, oh, I love that. And, and I'm sure as you're aware, I'm trying to think of who, need, who to give the credit to. Sean Aker from the Happiness Advantage, that the ba basically the average amount of time for a habit to shift and stick is 21 days. Mm -hmm. so that's of course that's average, right? Yeah. Because quitting smoking is not the same thing as eating a piece of fruit in the morning for a new habit. But so rough, like if we get going with something that's a, like you're saying that you're trying your intention with intention, you're incorporating into your lifestyle. It eventually gets easier. Like, totally. Okay. Or I, that's certainly been my experience and I'm sure I've tried to incorporate things that haven't stuck because right. they weren't right for me. And I think that's also how you sort of figure out what, is what you're suited to and what's right for you. Like if you try and make it a habit and incorporate it seamlessly into your life and it doesn't work, you know, maybe forcing it's not the option, the best option. Maybe the best option is to say, I guess this isn't for me. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going right. to do these other things that feel more life-giving and mm -hmm. more positive. Um, and our, you know, it, my hope, you know, for myself and my hope for others is for these things to be energy generating, not mm -hmm. energy depleting. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I had to actually do some shuffling to myself because my mind, especially since where we are in the, in the year calendar year right now, when it's New Year's, when it's New Year's Eve, what do like a lot of people do with the resolutions, right? Yeah. And then three weeks later on Craigslist, what's on sale? It dramatically reduced prices. Yeah, you're you're Nordic this or yeah, that, yeah, yeah. whatever. This or yeah. that, and yeah. the treadmills and the yeah. ellipticals, and like so, yeah. it's th that's like the proof of the pudding, right there. Yeah. It's not going to work unless it, it's like it, you're in, it's inviting. Yes. Exactly. Okay, awesome. So I know Sarah Camille and I were chatting before we turned all of you on here. And I know that she's got um, several good examples slash tips for, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, lifestyle integration with the physical activity. Want to share some of those with us? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think also, I just want to say that I recognize that 
you know, the things that work for me are not going to work for everyone. Right. And, you know, the things that I've chosen to prioritize things that align with my values and make sense for the structure of my life, they would look very different for someone else. I'm always like with anything, I'm like, you know, the goal here in sharing what I do isn't for people to copy me, but it's more to think like, but what would that look like for me? Right, right, right. Um, so some ways in which activity is really woven into my life are many of my colleagues and students at Champlain know that I am an active commuter. I bike commute year round. Um, so that's, you know, that's a small amount of activity. I only live about two miles from campus, but you know, it's 10, 15 minutes each way in the morning and in the evening. And, you know, that's the kind of thing too, where, small pieces cumulatively add up. So, you know, that means that just through commuting, I'm getting in several hours of biking a week without doing any additional biking. But if I were to set us try to set aside three hours to bike mm -hmm. exclusively, that's much harder to do. Of course, I do that sometimes, but that's uh, just sort of sets a baseline of those things being incorporated. Uh, something else that actually I feel like the pandemic gifted to me is walking meetings. So you know, I can't believe that this is really not something I took advantage of before, but for whatever right. reason, I never thought about it. But then during the period of time, so um, in the 2020-2021 school year, my team and I, including student workers, were on campus working at the library. It was very quiet. We were all masked and we couldn't be um, you know, unmasked in a space together. And then I was trying to figure out how I could have meetings, especially with my student worker teams about their well-being and how they were coping under those circumstances that would feel more natural and more organic. And I realized, well, we could take our masks off if we were outside, but just like standing around outside, especially in, you know, most of the school year in Vermont, cold. it's not very pleasant. You're going to be super cold, 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 windy, oh, all of it. Yeah. And so that was where like the walking meetings were something I started doing. And I immediately realized that they were just fantastic because many, you know, I, so I still do this. I do one-on-ones with my pro staff as walking meetings most of the time. When I'm checking in with the student workers on my team, those are usually walking meetings. And I found that particularly for folks who, you know, for whom a one-on-one -on -one interaction can feel really challenging, mm -hmm. if you're in motion side by side, suddenly that interaction becomes so much more natural. You know, we're able to, to share things with one another mm -hmm. and listen to one another and be present for one another in an entirely different way that just feels so rich and positive. Um, so I, you know, as challenging as many of, you know, the things that COVID brought us are, I feel really grateful that it opened my eyes to how mm -hmm. impactful walking meetings can be. And so that's something that I've kept up consistently as we've sort of returned to um, less of those COVID protection measures. And I think walking too, you know, I think there's an interesting thing that has happened in American culture, particularly where this, this idea that if you're not sweating and you're not elevating your heart rate, then the activity you're doing is just not worth it. And so people don't do anything because it's not good enough. But, you know, having a consistent walking, you know, practice in your life, if you're doing that regularly, that has tremendous benefits for your physical, mental and uh, emotional health. Uh, and uh, something that it also has really shown me, and I think, you know, like Kim, you and I were talking about how we are both bodies that like to be in motion. Got to. Uh, but I found that, you know, if I'm trying to solve a problem or, you know, figure something out, I could stand in front of my computer for the entire day and never get there. But if I take a five or 10 minute walk, 
I, you know, I almost always by the end of that short walk, I found the, you know, the answer, found the solution, or I've just shifted my thinking in a way that's productive in a way that I never would have if I hadn't sort of just put my body in motion for those just few minutes. Fresh air thing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, and I, I just remember because my husband's a Harry Truman fan. He thinks there's like an underground club in Vermont. It's just kind of funny. Uh, but so I know more about Harry Truman than most people probably just by default. Uh, and he used to tell me, because he reads everything about him and knows every his whole life, but Harry Truman used to say, I forget his cliche, not cliche, but his his quote was walking every day and he lived a, a, a you know very nice long life and he was very, he got problem solving thing mm-hmm. as president of the United States, obviously, right? Yeah. And uh, he went on and on about how how healthy it is for one and the longevity and everything. It doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have to be, you're a, a long jumper. Mm-hmm. just walking has you living longer than people who are sedentary period never mind the clear-headed thing and the problem solving yeah so there you go you're right in the same league with harry truman there you go okay i i just i love this sarah Camille. it's just so much so much to digest and it's just such a great and timely conversation as we come out of the pandemic and you know people being sedentary who might not have been and those who were maybe became more sedentary uh but what you what struck me with what you just said about the pandemic gifted me. I love that. I haven't heard anyone refer to it in such a positive light and how you found some of your students um, benefiting from not having to be in such a close proximity because they were taking masks off. That's why you did it originally, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So they could they could walk next to each other and talk, but, but could sort of, uh, like we were saying, and not meant to be demeaning, that's not the point, how two-year-olds are known for their parallel play, like playing together separately. And it, it's not meant to be demeaning because it's a coping skill that I've seen seasoned adults borrow to not feel uncomfortable, right? They do stuff next to each other or whatever. So here's, you and I were talking earlier about how the physical activity can help with bringing anxiety down. And also you you talked about my, mindfulness basically and how the, the physical activity brings you in the moment, which then leaves no room for anxiety. Is that, did I hear you right? Yeah, I think so. Something um, that uh, actually a doctor that I saw a few years ago said that really stuck with me uh, is that anxiety doesn't exist in the present moment. That, you know, if you think about anxiety, it is entirely a function of either, you know, the unknown of the future or sometimes regret about the past. I think it's, I feel like it's, it's sometimes that, but it's more so about the unknown, what we can't control, what might or might not happen. Mm -hmm. But if you can, you know, be in that present moment, then there's no place for anxiety there and a way that um, I find it helpful to sort of keep myself anchored in the present moment, especially when I'm feeling anxious is to focus on physical sensation. Um, and totally. you know, just like the way, like how, you know, does the air feel on my skin, you know, pressing my feet into the ground and feeling that grounding anchoring. And I think that that's a piece for where the, the walking meetings also work for that. Like, um, if a student is you know, sitting across a desk from me to have a conversation for one thing, that's like kind of a contrived situation to begin with. It's not ever, it's always going to feel a little like that structure is sort of designed, I think, to promote a little bit of anxiety. Um, and so there's a way where, you know, when we're not facing each other and we're side by side, I love what you were saying about parallel play, you know, as you're in motion together, it, that motion, I think, has a way of anchoring you in the present moment, decreasing that anxiety. And then by, you know, having that conversation as you're moving side by side, it 
can allow you to have more, you know, a little more space around the conversation and not feel so put on the spot. Um, especially like I've re I have really noticed a lot of our students feel, um, you know, when having those conversations that it can be, you know, even the most well-intentioned conversation, you know, where my goal is just to sort of assess their well-being and see how they're doing, I think can cause them to feel anxious. And I think the, the walking just makes it feel more organic. It makes it feel more uh, informal. It makes it feel, you know, less a meeting and more two people just having a conversation. a conversation. Exactly. Oh my gosh, I love this. And I just have to comment right now because I've seen Sarah Camille in action and to have such a grip on your students is amazing. I'm just making like a, a blanket, put it out there thing with other leaders because when if, to be in tune at this level and notice ways you can be an influence to help, to help people, any people, not just young adult people, communicate more effectively because their anxiety is being reduced. That's huge, huge in making a difference. And also authentically with the person's mental health and just comfort level. And then also those students, or let's say employees, if it's a different context, the productivity level is going to be so much higher because they'll be happier and more relaxed. Right? Totally. Yeah. Now this is, this is great. Sarah Camille, because and uh, now now so that kind this kind of segues us to when I I, I I was reading some of Sarah Camille's points uh, last night actually, and I loved how she the concept you phrased is I call it broccoli mode when somebody's just vegging, and how because I know with my Minecrafters we've talked about it that is not rejuvenating or you said restorative that's also a good word, it's not so there there's a type of rest that you're saying is like the opposite of autopilot. And why don't you tell us about that type of rest? Yeah, this is something that I think has been a growing realization for me. I think particularly in the last few years, actually probably a lot of it has been the increase in screen time, which is a oh real burnout God. factor for me. Yeah. Um, but just sort of thinking about the concept of constructive rest as opposed to passive rest. You know, I think there's often this idea, like somebody gets to the end of the day or the week and they're like, oh, I'm so tired. I just want to sit on the couch and let the Netflix shows just keep flying mm -hmm. by, you know, maybe it'll ask if I'm still watching at some point, but mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's a very passive thing as opposed to even though you're, you're tired and you feel like you, you know, you just had a day, had a week making the, the conscious choice to do something like take a short walk. And I'm really lucky. Actually, I have a wonderful dog who requires three walks a day or more. And so, you know, if I get home from work and I'm tired, I actually have the gift of he's smiling and wagging his tail and ready for me to take him for a walk. And that, you know, gives me that little moment of reset um, in that way. But also, you know, like, going to a yoga class. And that is where I feel like there's, you have to find that balance. Like we were talking earlier about, um, you know, making excessive choices and how having to make too many choices is exhausting. Um, and so, you know, what I'm always trying to fine tune and figure out for myself, and this is always changing is where is that, that perfect balance? And there is no perfect balance, right, right, but where right. is that place where I'm not exhausting myself with having to make choices, um, but I'm also not just surrendering to this passive broccoli mode. I love right, right, that right. Um, thing where I just come home and I just, you know, sit on the, sh the couch and, you know, watch shows for three hours, you know, with that three hours, like, I, you know, I love how you always are talking on the podcast about your life minutes and spending your life minutes uh -huh. wisely. Uh, but also, but you know, beyond even that, just 
I've really found that if I can take a few minutes, you know, or maybe an hour, often less than that, to do something that falls into that constructive rest. And it's not just things like walking or yoga. Like for me, cooking, no. huge oh, constructive rest. Oh, me too. A great, it's, it's, you know, it's where I can feel creativity. It's where I can do something that is, you know, about hand and eye and taste and smell, all of which are great anchors to the present moment. It's like the opposite of oh, screen totally. time. Those are things that are really, you know, super impactful for me in terms of like restorative constructive rest, which does take a little bit of a choice because there again, too, I guess, I'm choosing to cook instead of getting takeout. But most of the time, that really is what is a more uh, a more positive and useful way of spending 45 minutes after work for me. I could sit and wait for a pizza to come. Sometimes that's great. Or I could have the experience of cooking and, you know, preparing a meal that, uh, you know, usually doesn't take that long, but that experience of cooking is so important in that world of constructive rest and that, you know, no screen time after work time. Oh my God. Sorry for me. I'm totally with you. I realize that maybe the cooking thing isn't for everybody, but why I feel you on that because I, even if you have those weeks where you're out of stuff and house, like I'll just yeah. throw some and it's just the yeah. being in the kitchen. Sometimes I'll put like acoustic, not word music as yes. much. It's yes. Cause I don't want my brain like George Winston in the fall or something like yeah. that. And, um, and the smells, I like that you brought that in because mm -hmm. The aromatherapy while you're making a chicken parm or whatever. Yeah. With, yeah. I mean, it's it, to me, it's enormously relaxing as well. And I just, oh, I just love the whole idea of that. But how it, not that there aren't, isn't a day or night for takeout. Totally. Right? For takeout maybe Friday. Maybe I don't feel that. Way. Right. Yeah. But in general, if we can get, if we can incorporate, how did you say it again? The rest, constructive? Constructive rest. Yeah. And sort of like taking pleasure in these things that like, you maybe need to do anyway. Although, I mean, you could also have a great life where you choose not to cook. Um, I, you know, I also, you know, in terms of, of cooking and how I think about cooking, I feel really lucky. My father was a cook for his whole professional life. And I didn't realize until later that it's kind of unusual the way that I learned to cook from him. I really don't ever follow recipes. And if I have to follow a recipe that actually is, takes me out of the present moment and I find it much less restorative oh, than the organic process of cooking, you know, based on what I have on hand, taste, smell, all of that sort of sort of thing. That's why I've used a recipe in years. I'm the same way as you. And I, and what, and what I just thought of right now, and my husband's going to love being talked about on the podcast, but he loves to drive around on his little tractor mower and mow the grass. And he has a big job and he works like a million hours. And our oldest daughter, this is not that long ago, it was this past summer. He was <laughs> around the backyard and she, and she comes out, she goes, she goes, look, mom, dad's zenning. Uh -huh. Like, cause yeah. that's, and the, and the grass cut grass, the whole thing, yeah. but he's, it's not a chore for him. He's like, he's by himself yeah. without the wife and all the kids yeah. living the, living the dream out yeah. there, mowing the lawn. Yeah. So I think it's different for everybody. Totally. But I think, and he does come, he come out of that lawn thing, seemingly anyway, kind of recharge. Oh, totally. Exactly. That's like, that makes me think of something that I've been incorporating into my life more in the last few years is gardening, which for most yeah, of my yeah, life yeah. is not something I did at all, but I've been doing it more over time, which is actually something that my husband got me started doing. And uh, that's a great example of something that is, you know, it, mm. it feels like a much more constructive and restorative than 
And it does allow you to sort of do what you're saying about is, is a different kind of zoning out that feels much more it's mindful. Exactly. So it's which like, isn't really right. It's, right. It's like allowing it, like it gives your, your mind space from things right, that you, right, that are right. otherwise crowding it. Creating white space. Yeah, exactly. And you still, like you're saying, you still have the tactile. Exactly. It's the dirt and the rocks, maybe the Occasional worm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but the smells of the earth, at least out yeah. by us, when it's the spring, it's, you can smell the wet. Oh, I love that. I know. It's yeah. kind of um, pungent, is that the right word? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, kind of, like, really um, wakes up wakes up your senses. Yeah. Um, so I see that as, I guess, kind of similar, really, with the aromatherapy and the tactile. Yeah. Right, this way that our senses can keep us anchored in the present moment. Yeah. And, you know, there's just not really a place for anxiety if you can be fully immersed in those sensory physical experiences. So true. I mean, I, oh my God, so true. Because, and the, the key, right, is being 100% in the moment. If it, you're, it's like 98. Mm -hmm. It's got to be like you are in the garden, you're in the hot bath, you're in the cooking, you're in the skiing, you're in the whatever you're doing. Yep. There is no room for anything else yeah anxiety yeah. depression any of it yeah i yeah. love this